Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, in studio along with Matt Feld. Joining us on Zoom today is the newest coach of the BC baseball program, Todd Interdonato. He arrives at Boston College with 16 years of head coaching experience at Wolford College. He guided the Terriers to 455 wins since taking over the program in 2008. Coach, congratulations on your new post here at BC. Thank you so much, man. This is just such a dream landing spot for our family, such a, such a dream city for my wife and our young girls. And then just being able to join an institution like BC in a conference like the ACC, just, you just cannot ask for a better combination. Yeah. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because when the post became available, when Mike Gambino left to go to Penn State, we heard from a lot of coaches who were interested in the in that post, and uh, it just was probably one of the most coveted positions in New England in a lot of years because it's in the ACC and because of the facilities, and uh, they're coming off a great season. How did you? How did that position get on your radar, and how did you become involved in the in the coaching search? So, I think we all do a different level of keeping up with the coaching carousel, and fortunately. We've had some success at Wofford and we've been able to build the program and get it to the level that it is. And when Mike, Mike and I have a great relationship, let me just start by saying that. So when Mike took the job at Penn State, in the back of your head, you're like, maybe, like, maybe they'll have interest. I, we certainly would have interest, but it's got to be reciprocated. And I don't exactly remember the timing, but it was pretty soon after Mike officially accepted the position at Penn State, the administration at Boston College had reached out. And that was really powerful because when you know there's interest on their end, but just kind of, there's just something that kind of rings in your soul where you're like, okay, like maybe we were looking at each other from afar and they reached out. And I think really the biggest thing for me about the process was how clear they were how transparent they were, how upfront and honest they were, how well they communicated. And so it was just one of the most first-class professional searches I'd ever been a part of, which really, really made us feel great. Coach, I, I, again, when the, when the job became available, a lot of the talk was around the candidates up here, and I don't need to get into specific names, but, but, pitch, but pitching coaches and head coaches was obviously just from the local news standpoint, a lot of the, a lot of the rumors, obviously. Because of the fact that there is so much great talent, coaching talent up uh, up here, I'm curious. From New England's always been kind of seen, and Massachusetts has always been seen as kind of this home of sorts, where like where locals are celebrated and and sort of promoted, and obviously it's a tight knit community in a, in a lot of respects. You can go from like Massachusetts to Maine in the same amount of time you go from like Los Angeles to the town over from Los Angeles. You know, can't it's it's just a little different in that respect. I'm curious, just your perspective on coming into a new city both from a recruiting standpoint and also just from a lifestyle standpoint and what that's kind of adjustment been like so far. So the great thing about the great thing about being at Wofford for as long as we were was we run in academic circles, right? Like Wofford is a very high academic school. So we run in academic circles. So when you run in academic circles, you have a tendency to create relationships with a lot of guys in the Northeast because of how powerful the academics are up in your region. So just having relationships with Bill Decker at Harvard, I would consider Bill a, a close friend of mine. Eddie Kohovic at Holy Cross, I would consider a good friend of mine. And there's so many others that are around there. 
Jesse Woods up at Colby, John Martin at Bates, and I, the list goes on and on. Matt Noon at Babson and even his assistant, Bruce, have a great relationship with those guys. And so at least from a coaching community standpoint, I have joked around that I do need to be indoctrinated into the New England coaching community, and I'm not exactly sure what that involved. <laughs> but, I, but I also do believe that even though Wofford is in the South, I'm originally from Phoenix, I felt like at least in the coaching community, this was going to be about as soft of a landing for our family because of, first of all, how welcoming everybody is in that region, and then how long we've had those relationships with those guys up there. What do you think your recruiting philosophy will be? I mean, I would think maybe you're shooting for a little bit higher caliber of player in the ACC. You're probably regionally switching a little bit where you're looking at guys maybe in the Northeast a little bit more. And then also, I don't know how you were using the NCAA transfer portal at Wofford, but it seems like coaches are starting to embrace that a little bit more in the Northeast. How would you explain your recruiting philosophy heading into BC? Lot to unpack in that question right there because there's just so many different angles. So I'd like to start by saying our general philosophy is going to be we want to build this program organically, and that is predominantly high school players. That is really, I've, I said to the team when I first had a chance to meet with them, we wouldn't have been afforded this opportunity to be the head coach at Boston College without player development. And so really, I feel like if we tried to stray away from player development, you're now straying away from something that we are most comfortable with, something that we feel like is a strength of ours, and something, frankly, I think really speaks to players in general. And so organically is going to be kind of, I would say, the overarching theme. Of course, do we need to take advantage of the transfer portal and what can be out there in order to fill in gaps or to add a piece? Or to fill in here there, of course, I think anybody would be naive and almost disingenuous to say, we're not going to touch it. Because I do think there's I do think there's some added benefits to it, especially in a place like Boston College with 91 grad programs and the reputation that Boston College has in New England. But at the same time, we want this to be organic. We want it to be a program as opposed to a collection of individuals. Coach, there's been a competition over the last, I would say, decade or so, especially as Northeastern has kind of turned themselves into a into a top 40, top 45 program. And, and of course, Connecticut's been on the national on the national stage in a lot of respects between the, those two programs in Boston College, along with UMass Lowell and, and Maine in terms of kind of keeping the, the top homegrown talent kind of a, a fight in that respect, the top Massachusetts talent at whatever school um, or Connecticut talent at, at, out of those three programs or, or five Division One programs. How much of a priority are you going to make the local talent in Massachusetts trying to turn them into Boston College Eagles, or, or do you plan on maybe having more of a national recruiting strategy? I think, of course, it would be foolish not to take advantage of the dense population in the New England area and what Boston College, at least in my short experience here, means to a lot of locals. And from my experience in the last week or two, I think the Boston College logo carries a lot of weight with high school players in this region. And certainly that would be a place that we want to attack and a place that we want to find the right fits. Especially we need to be able to know every player in this region. You can't have absolutes in this business, right? Like we just talked about it with the transfer portal. There's no way you can say, absolutely, we're going to fill our roster with entirely New England guys because it's just, it's just not plausible. But at the same time, 
I think the Boston College staff has done a great job of getting some of their best talent in the New England area. And you look back at the local history of guys that, you know, have been able to make massive impacts on the field and even massive impacts in the Boston College community have been New England guys. At the same time, this is a pretty powerful logo. And maybe there are some, some guys that have connections to the Northeast that maybe are living in a different part of the country that still have a strong draw to Boston College. I will tell you, we have experiences. Look, what Mike has done at Northeastern is nothing short of remarkable. What they have done at UConn is nothing short of remarkable. At the same time, I feel like maybe where our level of comfort coming in there is a little bit different is the condensed powerhouse of programs that Wofford is in between. We're an hour from Clemson. We're an hour and 15 minutes from South Carolina. We're three hours from Coastal. We're three hours from College of Charleston. We haven't even gotten into North Carolina. We're an hour and a half from the University of Georgia. We're three hours from Georgia Tech. We're four hours from Virginia Tech. We're three hours. We're just slammed in the middle of college baseball powerhouses. And what I will tell you is the competition between those schools, and I can't speak for the competition between BC and Northeastern and UConn. I, I cannot speak to that. But I will tell you, I know there's a mutual respect between the three programs in the Northeast. And I will also tell you there's a mutual respect in South Carolina between Wofford and, and the other high mid-major programs and Power Five programs down here. And while we all compete, I think there's something in the back of our minds that over the last 16 years, we know other schools in the region being successful does have an impact on other regions and other schools in the region also being successful. And yeah, you get down to the nitty gritty and maybe it comes down to BC and Northeastern and UConn for the same player. But at the same time, I think all of us coaches around here will tell you we've wanted South Carolina baseball to continue to grow as a whole. And you just, we just always wanted Wofford to be a part of that. And I would, I would be hard pressed to think it wouldn't be the same thing at BC. Of course, we want BC to be the most successful program in New England, but I also do believe there's value in those other programs growing alongside and us growing alongside with each other. It's it's funny to, or not funny, but it's interesting to look back on it now because this position, the BC program seems so settled now. You can feel your enthusiasm for the future of the program. But if you, if, if, if you do think about it, I guess the last two months have been a little bit tumultuous with the BC program. First, they lost their two paid assistants to go take jobs at other D1 programs. And then Mike left after signing a five-year extension. And so there was a little bit of unrest, I would say. And I would think from a recruiting perspective, that might be tough for the kids who have committed because you build these personal relationships with recruiting coordinators and head coaches. And then all of a sudden it's a clean slate. What will you do about the guys who are committed and not scheduled to arrive on campus here in 2023, but maybe the 24s, the 25s, I don't know if there are any 26s. Do you reestablish contact with them or do you say, hey, I'm going to recruit my own players? Would be foolish to think, would be foolish to walk in here and think that our philosophy is the best philosophy. And of course, are we going to bring characteristics with us that have made us successful at Wofford to try to bring them to Boston College? Of course, we'd be foolish not to do that too, right? Like there's been a blueprint of success at Wofford, but we've got to figure out what's transferable. Saying that exactly the system and exactly the way we recruited at Wofford is going to be the same at BC, like, again, that's just so presumptuous and I almost think foolish to a degree. So, but 
I mean, we've already met with the 24s via Zoom. And that was one of our biggest priorities as a staff was to get in here and, and look at those guys and say, let's, let's start by saying, let's look at the common ground. And the common ground has been, you guys fell in love with Boston College. You guys actively chose Boston College amongst a lot of other options. Our family and our staff and, and our beliefs, we have fallen in love with Boston College and we have actively chose Boston College as well. And it's not arrogant of you guys to sit there and say you could have gone to other programs because of course you could have. You're good enough to play at BC. You're good enough to play at dozens of programs around the country. So we know they actively chose it, but I think it was important for us to communicate with them. We actively chose this too. And so our love for BC and our belief in BC is really going to be the foundation of our relationship moving forward. And I had a Zoom with those guys. They were great. Such great personalities, very talented players. Told them, we're going to continue to move forward. We feel ecstatic that you're a part of our community. We feel ecstatic that you guys have cho chosen BC. We hope you feel the same about us. And we continue to march forward as we go. And you would have to ask those guys how they felt on the back end of that call. But it's like my dad has always told me, don't tell me what you, don't tell me what they said. Tell me how you felt when you left the meeting. And I've taken that advice to heart. You go meet with somebody. Well, what did he say? Our players come in. Did you meet with the professor? Yeah. Well, this is what he said. Don't tell me what the professor said. Tell me how you felt when you left the meeting. And so for me, I just had a, I had a great feeling leaving that meeting with those 24 commits. I had a great feeling leaving the meeting that I had with the 23 guys that are here on campus for summer school. My, every time I've met with a group of Boston College players, I have left it invigorated and energized when I've left that conversation. And I'd be hard pressed to think they haven't had the same thing. Coach, you're coming from a great conference with Sanford and Mercer and UNC Greensboro had a number of have had a number of strong years. And what's your take on the overall landscape and how excited are you to, to go up against guys like Chris Pollard and Brian O'Connor and Dan McDonald and a, do, a new, a different wave of, of coaches? It's going to be really fun to learn. It's going to be really fun to learn. That's something, you know, when Link was, Link was at UNC Greensboro and doing such a good job, I think Link and I have a lot of mutual respect for each other. And we had this conversation one year, we were at Greensboro specifically remember this conversation. We go through a three-game series and it's back and forth and we're trying to match wits and do the things that coaches do. And we finished, we finished the series and we were standing behind home plate. We shook hands of you, as you're accustomed to seeing. And we just kind of had this lighthearted moment that we're like, it'd be nice to be in different conferences from each other. So that way we can actually like share secrets and like talk to each other. So we had about a three-year reprieve, and now we're back in the same league again. So Chris, Chris and I have had a great relationship. I met Chris all the way back in 2002 when he was the head coach at Pfeiffer. I was the head coach of a team called the Salisbury Pirates that played their home games at Pfeiffer. So I met Chris all the way back at the summer of 02 and have had a relationship with him. And obviously, he was in the league at App State. But then there's other guys I don't know, right? There's other guys in this league that I, that I don't know, like, I've met, I've met Dan at Louisville. I've met Brian at Virginia. I've met Mike at Virginia Tech. But, you know, to say I have a personal connection with those guys certainly would be, would be, that'd be a far reach. 
So looking forward to knowing those guys, but really looking forward to seeing how they run their programs and being in the dugout and trying to try to figure out what make them tick. And I'm sure they're going to be doing the same to us. Coach, I mentioned earlier, uh, the two assistants had left BC to pursue assistant coaching jobs at other D1 programs. One of the things Mike expressed frustration with when that happened, even when he was still in the BC coaching job, is that the salaries weren't competitive with other AC assistant coaching positions, that it was hardly a, a livable wage in Boston, and that BC hadn't taken advantage of adding the third assistant coach that the NCAA has allowed as of late. Are you comfortable with the compensation packages that you'll be able to offer assistant coaches on your staff? When, when we first started interviewing for this position, this was a, this was a topic of conversation. And Certainly can't get into specifics, right? I certainly can't get into wages and numbers and, and all of that stuff. That would be unprofessional of me to do. But I will tell you, as, as we've been here for the, whatever many days it's been, some days it feels like five hours, some days it feels like I've been here for a year with how many conversations that we've had. But, you know, the history of Boston College is the history of Boston College. A new head coach isn't going to come in and turn it on its head. There's, that would just be such a, such a poor, unprofessional way of doing things. And I will tell you, when you look at a program from the outside, everybody has preconceived notions, whether it's Virginia Tech, Wofford, Boston College, UConn, there's, there's preconceived notions. But once you get in and you lift up the hood and somebody allows you to look under the hood of a program as they do in an interview process, some of those preconceived notions are confirmed and some of them are different than what you had in your mind. And so as you got into it and looked, I will tell you, there's been things that have been on point or on brand with what I thought. And there have been things that have been different than I thought when we got under the hood. But I will tell you this, the interest that we have had in these two positions has been constant. And it is so deep and it has been some really talented coaches with a lot of history and a lot of history of success. But, and I, and I told the players this in our first team meeting, we have to be extremely careful with who we bring into this locker room, just like Mike was when he was making those hires. You, it's just such an impactful decision you make. And I know there's this pressing need to want to fill it to check the box to say, okay, we're going to get this. We're going to get assistance. And everybody's curious about what we're going to do, especially with the way things transpired under the previous regime. But at the same time, we have to keep our focus on the guys in that locker room. And we have to do right by the guys in that locker room. And certainly I know I'm a small piece of Boston College baseball, but every piece has major responsibilities. And I feel like even though I'm a small piece of of BC baseball, I feel like one of my most major responsibilities is to get those right. And so that's a long way of saying we have a long list of candidates. We have a long list of deep candidates. We have a long list of candidates that I'm ecstatic about. And we're just trying to pick exactly the right one that blends into that vibe in that locker room, which I need to learn that too, right? A guy that would have fit at Wofford that we would have been excited about at Wofford. Maybe it's not the perfect fit at Boston College. So I've got to learn the atmosphere and learn the guys too to try to pair that coach up perfectly with those personalities in that locker room. Coach, I'm probably asking a, a dumb question since you just you somewhat answered it, but I was 
I was under the impression, and I think others were that you were, or at least some others were, that you were bringing your full staff with you from Wofford to Boston College. Is that obviously that's not the case? So we gave JJ Edwards, who was the associate head coach here, who had been our head assistant for the last 12 years, he was given the option. He was given the option Got it. to come with us. And that was something that we had talked about, that we had discussed. JJ, I mean, JJ's my best friend. Like, he's my best friend. Like, so saying that we haven't had these conversations on a personal level, even before all this had come up, of course we had. But at the same time, when you look at, when you look at what we built together at Wofford, I think we both sensed as we, as this really got down to becoming a reality, there was something that just didn't feel right about all of us abandoning Wofford. There was something that just didn't feel right about me and our family pouring 18 years into Wofford, him and his family pouring 12 years into Wofford, where all of a sudden we both just leave and the thing is disband. And I think JJ, as we really got into this as a sense of reality, I think JJ felt a, a massive obligation to these players that were here who helped us build this to make sure that they were taken care of. And I will tell you the conversation that he and I had, you guys have had this in your life. You know exactly where you were. You know exactly what you were wearing. You know exactly what the conversation was. But it was a conversation at 8.30 in the morning and me in the back of an Uber driving down right next to the Charles and I'm in the back Stuck of in traffic. Uber. It was actually decent. It was, it was decent. Nobody told us there was traffic in Boston. Is that yeah. a thing? <laughs> so, and it was a 25-minute conversation of two grown men pouring tears. Pouring tears because we knew the right thing was for him to stay there and continue to steward the program that we took so long to build. And we were separating and we were set. And it was just, ah, it's one of the most, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. It was one of the most emotional conversations I've ever had with a friend in my life. But I'll tell you this, man, I feel, I feel great about it. I feel great about it. And I feel great that JJ's taken over here. And I walked in, I'm sitting in my office my office at Wofford, if you can't tell. And I walked into a group of guys that were here and I just said, this is, this is a dream come true that JJ's taking over, that he's taking care of you guys and this program is continuing to move forward. So long way of saying JJ is staying. And then I kept coach Sullivan on staff, who's an invaluable member of Boston college baseball. We have, we have completed and built out our entire off the field staff. So, but just those last two positions of on-field coaches, yeah, we need to, we need to fill those. That must've been an interesting ride for the Uber driver with you <laughs> sobbing in the back seat. I wanted to ask about, so you're actually down there, probably more in ACC country than we are up here. We're the only New England ACC program. So you're probably more familiar with decaliber facilities and builds, things like that. How does BC stack up? Because up here, you hear it's the it's the best of the best, but we haven't seen them all down there. How how does BC's facility? How do BC's facilities stack up against the other ACC schools? Very well, very well. We have. You asked that question, Dan, and now I'm like thinking about okay, what ACC facilities have we not been to? And maybe I think the only one that. I personally have not been to is Miami. I think that's legitimately the only one that, that I personally have not been to. Yeah, the facilities stack up really well. But when you look at facilities, 
at least in my opinion, you have to look at how the facilities match the campus and the environment and the region. So for instance, Frady's being as powerful as it is and built the way that it's built, maybe that wouldn't be the best facility to put down at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. Maybe a facility to match in urban Atlanta, you would design it differently. So I will tell you, if you're just looking at facilities to facilities, yes, it stacks up near the top of the conference. If you're looking at how the facilities match the region, I don't know if anybody's done it better because of just where it sits, the whole Harrington Athletics Village, where Frady sits, how it overlooks the field, the ability to develop, how you need the space indoors, combined with the bubble, combined with Fish Field House for the other programs. It, it's just, and the crazy thing is they want to continue to build. They want to continue to build out Frady's. They want to continue to, to continue to develop the entire Harrington Athletics Village. So as far as fit goes to the, to the college or the institution, they nailed it. 10 out of 10. Hmm. Coach, I'm curious. I help run one of the, I help run a travel baseball program up here in the, up here in the Northeast, which I think makes me like automatically like blacklisted in the eyes of many people, but, uh, but uh, my new best friend, either way, yeah, either way. Yeah, hopefully. But, uh, but obviously I've seen it. My coworkers, everyone that's in sort of that industry has kind of seen up close how the landscape has changed. And Dan asked you a little bit about it earlier with the transfer portal and homegrown players and everything in between. From your perspective, what's the best advice that you can give to prospective recruits right now across the board, whether they're a player that can play Boston College or a player that's a, a Division three player at a local state school? What's the best advice that you can give to a prospective recruit right now to get seen and get noticed based on the amount of players that are playing and the social media presence and the transfer portal, how can a kid stand out and make themselves known regardless of the level that they can ultimately play at? You only want one piece of advice? Well, whatever, <laughs> no, whatever you got. I mean, whatever you got. The analogy that, that we've always used is you don't pick when you decide to get married. You pick who you marry. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I think it allows players and families, hopefully, to take a deep breath. And we'll be sitting in a, a conference room and mom and dad will be sitting in there and the player will be sitting in there. And I'll ask, I go, when, when did you guys get married? How old were you? And they'll say, oh, I was 29 and he or she was 28. And I go, you guys didn't have it on your calendar get married in 1983, did you? And they're like, well, no, of course not. I said, you guys were just living your lives. You were doing the best you could do. And then boom, there, there it was. A person you couldn't, you decided you couldn't live without. And I feel like that's the analogy that in the past has landed with families that has said, okay, this is a real life experience and has gone through it. The second thing I've said, and, and I really got to see the recruiting process from the other side because I'm the youngest of four boys and my oldest brother, his son was a recruited division one pitcher out of the Phoenix area. And then now my brother who's closest to me, his son is getting ready to go through the recruiting process as well. So I've got to see it from the other side. And I said to my oldest brother, who's very successful in sales, worked for CenturyLink, now works for Lumen, 
does a very good job. He asked me, he's like, hey, what do I need to know? Like, tell me about this. Like, I don't have any experience in college baseball. Like, Reed's obviously my oldest son. Like, tell me, give me some advice. And I just said, dude, you don't need any advice from me. This is about people. This is about connections. This is about vibe in an office. This is about people taking care of your son. This is not about, this is not about you knowing the recruiting landscape. You've been in enough meetings. You've been in enough interviews. You've interacted with enough people. When your BS meter starts going off, trust your gut. And when you get a really sense of calmness and you get this, this sense of connectivity sitting in those, sitting in those offices, trust your instincts, trust your gut. Like you, you have to do that. This isn't a baseball thing. This is a people thing. And so my advice to families are, even if you don't have any experience in navigating college baseball, recruiting in the landscape, you still have a lot of experience in people. And that is really what this all comes back to. Awesome. Well, Todd, do you have a few minutes just to do our three up, three, three down segment? How can I pass up the three up, three down? <laughs> How do I pass that up? Appreciate that. All right. We'll, we'll go through this quick because I know you're super busy right now, but uh, let me introduce you to our producer, David Yaz. Three up, three down. Welcome back to three up, three down, three mystery questions for the coach, Dan and Matt. And I could say there are no right or wrong answers, but I reserve the right to tell you you're wrong if you answer poorly. Coach, you are the guest, so you get to go first. First question, as a young baseball fan, who was the rival player you recall rooting against with the most fervor? Ricky Henderson. <laughs> wow. Why is that? The third person speech never really vibed with me. Ricky, yeah, doesn't, think... Ricky doesn't care for your comments, coach. Ricky, <laughs> exactly, Ricky, exactly. Ricky doesn't take too kindly to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of an opposite vibe of the guys that I always rooted for. I love the day when he broke a stolen base record. And then later that day, Nolan Ryan threw a no hitter to totally upstage him. Dan, who was your favorite villain? I was a tie between Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. I, it was in the 80s when I started following baseball. I was a Phillies fan. The Mets were on top, so they were they had the Phillies number. And then I think my dad also was using both of those players as examples of to stay clean from drugs and those types of things. So he was always kind of villainizing those two. Apparently, Daryl did get clean and found God later in life. Doc, uh, we're not so sure. I, th I think his kid's a baseball player now. Who's that, Doc? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? So I think he's going and playing big-time college baseball. All right, we wish him well. Matt, how this about was, you? This was more later on and recent as it became a more diehard Mets fan, but I hate Chase Utley, and I always will. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right, question number two. We'll go back around the horn the other way, so we'll start with you, Matt. What is your most cherished piece of baseball memorabilia, or if you if you choose, one that you really wish you had? I wouldn't say it's like necessarily most cherished. I think something that I have is special. I went to the Hall of Fame when Dennis Eckersley got got inducted, and I got one of the old Oakland A's jerseys signed by him, which I thought oh, was that's sweet. Cool. Yes, it's a great one. But Dan, I have a Mike Schmidt autographed baseball that I would say is probably sweet. my favorite piece of memorabilia. I had a bat that. I think my parents tried to pass off as an autograph bat, but I, I think it's their handwriting. So it was, <laughs> might have tried to slip that by me when I was five or six years old. I have a friend who grew up a diehard Phillies fan, and the thing he likes best about me is my son's middle name is Jack, just like Michael, Michael Jack, Jack Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. 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 Coach, how about you? Memorabilia? I think I still have it. 
but I'm going to confirm as we move out of our house here in South Carolina, <laughs> my most prized possession memorabilia is I do have the coveted 1989 Ken Griffey Jr. Upper Deck Rookie card. Ooh, Ooh wow. One of the most cherished and most controversial cards in, in history. So, yeah, That's hold right. on to that one, Coach. Final question for three up, three down. We'll start with you, Coach. If you needed to get three outs from any closer in history in, in their prime, who would you call upon? Eric Gagne, 2003. Wow. What did they call him? They called him Game Over, or that's what the scoreboard used to say when he came in. Is I, that right? Now, I got a buddy of mine back in Park City, Utah, that's going to say it's, it's Kimbrell in that year that he was so dominant, but he and I go back and forth all the time, and I'll take Gagne's year. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for us in Boston when the Red Sox got Gagne. He couldn't have been more putrid that year. Oh my uh, gosh, he was so bad. He was so bad. <laughs> he, he blew up every time he got out there on the mound. Dan, closer. I, the easy one's Mariano Rivera, but I'm going to say my favorite's probably, I think Steve Bedrosian for the Phillies won the Cy Young in like 1988. He had 48 saves. So I'll go with him that season. That's a great one. Matt, did you already tip your hand and mention somebody earlier that's going to be the answer to your question? Uh, no, it's not going to be Eckersley. I'm going to go okay. John Smoltz with the Good Braves. One. Probably 2002, I think he had like 55 saves or something like that. But yeah, John Smoltz, non-starter, went to the bullpen, was a stud. Was he, is he the answer to that trivia question? Lead the league in saves and throw a no-hitter? I know Rigetti did it. No, I think, so, the, other, I think the other one's Eckersley. I think it's Eckersley. Actually. Yeah, okay. You've all done very well in three up, three down, but I'm going to declare the coach the winner. And as a result, as a, as a, <laughs> congratulations, coach. I know it's a, it's a thrill for you. As, and to commemorate your victory, we asked Chat GPT to write a short poem in the style of oh, Casey, no. in the style of Casey at the bat about oh, the coach. So it goes like this. Oh, somewhere in Chestnut Hill Town, the sun was shining bright as rumors spread of Todd's ascent, hearts filled with sheer delight. The Eagles sought a leader true, and fate had paved the way. With wisdom, skill, and gentle hand, he'd guide them through each play. He stepped onto the hollowed field, a beacon in their sight. In Todd Interdonato's embrace, they found their winning light. Through trials and triumphs, they stood tall, a team that would not yield. With him at the helm, they reached the stars, a destiny revealed. Thank you, ChatGPT. That was pretty good. That was was so cool, man. Had I known that was going to be the winning prize for this three up, three down, man, I would have been doing research on my laptop. (laughs) That was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Well Well, well done, Coach. ChatGBT has taken all of our jobs soon enough. But thanks to Todd Interdonato for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.